Gee, it sure is boring around here. My boy, this piece is what all true warriors strive for. I just wonder what Ganon's up to. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right, we are. Yeah. It's been quite a long time it's since been we've talked last. One week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's good. Now you can just sing the whole song. No. And then we'll just, uh, that'll be it. That's what people come here for quality podcast content right here. They do, they do, so, they do. I mean, people come for Classic Gaming Brothers. They come for the brothers stay for the content or maybe they come for the content stay for the brothers that's, that's probably more more, probably, more realistic probably more accurate yeah i they're they're like i want to hear people talk about uh this exciting topic <laughs> and then they listen to us and they go i never want to hear these guys talk again that's no right. no i'm <laughs> sure they i'm sure they delete i i've been told that people enjoy our our banter we do have we do have bants as they say we have bants we do bant and we are brothers and we like to banter back and forth because we are brothers because i have known you for far too long and it's been far too long since we've talked about what you have been recently been playing did you like that segue that was that was um that segue was that segue was smooth as butter that's like yeah i'm still the master of segues you are the master of segues you're like the guy who invented segues the game i've recently been playing is ukulele uh it came out in 2017 it is a collectathon game which is a topic that seth and i haven't really talked too much about uh a collectathon is a genre of games that was popular on systems like the nintendo 64 and the sony playstation and as the name implies, you collect items. Uh, kind of like um, Mario 64? Yeah, Mario 64 is often considered one of the earlier collectathon games. Banjo Kazooie, Donkey Kong 64, Spyro, those are all collectathons. So, Ukulele was developed by a company called Platonic, and Platonic are former employees of Rare, Rare being kind of the quintessential collectathon people back in the early days of the Nintendo 64. They created Banjo Kazooie, Banjo Tooie, Conquer, Donkey Kong 64, all of those being collectathon games. It was published by Team 17, and it was released again in 2017 on multiple different platforms. It's on PS4, it's on Xbone, it's on PC. Overall, it's okay. It's not amazing. It, it certainly has a lot of the charm and aesthetic of classic collectathon games like Banjo Kazooie and such, but it just is missing something, and I don't quite know what it is yet. It, it might be just the fact that it might be trying too hard to be like one of those games um where where it's not trying enough to be its own thing and i think that could be detrimental to it um where it doesn't feel it feels more like they're just trying to copy the game style and not actually try to progress the game style as it were but um overall not a terrible game and i've, I've been enjoying my time playing it I, I probably would recommend picking it up though if it goes on sale probably not paying full price at the moment so I've uh, recently been playing a game that I've been recently been playing, and I know I'm not one to promote repeating of games. Yeah, you got mad at me but, when I did it once. Yeah, well, you did it an episode after another episode, and so I'm not talking... I don't even know what I was recently playing last week. This week, I've been recently been playing The Outer Worlds, which I talked about almost a year ago, since our podcast is almost a year old yeah i know yeah yes the outer worlds is a game that was released originally on windows and uh epic games and had an exclusive exclusive deal with them well it was originally exclusive with just epic but then microsoft bought obsidian and then put it on their store so it's i mean it's what microsoft does uh so but they said you know in about a year or so uh we'll release it on steam uh which is my chosen platform of choice uh, i played it on game pass because game pass was a dollar for a month so for a dollar i got to play the game and i played about 12 hours of it but i didn't want to beat it because i wanted to 
buy it a year later and beat it on Steam. So I now own it on Steam, right. which makes me happy. Uh, so I can get all my Steam achievements. And it's it still holds up. They did release an expansion pack between the time that I bought it. Well, I played it. I didn't really buy it. I rented it, essentially, like a blockbuster. But that By the time that I rented it initially and the time that I bought it, um, they released an expansion pack. And I was able to get the expansion pack and the game for like 50% off, which is for an opening price point for... A, a new release for a well a new distribution channel uh is pretty good so uh yeah um beyond that i i still um for those who have not listened to whatever episode i talk about the outer worlds i can't even i'm not good i can't even reference what episode we talk about it in it's got to be early though it's a game that's very similar to it's always developed by obsidian um who were the same people who developed like fallout new vegas yeah and it has a very similar fallout new vegas vibe except funnier and in space um so you're you play at you play in this this solar system that is essentially dominated by different corporations and the different corporations own different planets and essentially employ everybody on that planet for their purposes um and one of the first corporations that you run into is spacer's choice and the the slogan of spacer choice which all of their employees tell you is uh is that it's not the best choice it's the spacer's choice and because essentially they they're just like uh i would say like the job lot of the corporations they just sell like products that aren't necessarily name brand (laughs) and uh have a have a percentage of failure which is some deem acceptable in the certain rates that they fail so it's a fun first person role-playing game where you go through and everything's really like tongue-in-cheek the first time i played through i had like a dialogue centric character who was good with like long rifles this time I'm going through with like a guy who can like hit people with his like with melee or use science weapons because there's a lot of funny weapons like shrink rays that you can get in the game, but you have to be good at science to use them. So I'm excited about um, maxing out that ability and then being able to use my like shrink ray gun or the weapon that turns everybody's heads bigs and stuff like that. Just a fun, fun game like that. So that's what I've been recently been playing. Don't worry. I Well, I can't say I'll never talk about it again, but... <laughs> Maybe he'll talk about it in a year from now. Oh, maybe. Every year I'll just talk about Outer Worlds for no reason That'll be your uh, tradition. Yes, it'll be, it'll be a tradition that no one will hold us to. So this week, as evident by the episode of the title, we are going to talk about uh, some hardware. Um, yeah. We like to talk about different hardware that was released in the past. And also within our normal conversations about games or our conversations about companies or our conversations about arcade cabinets i guess yeah. we have a few like major themes that we generally hit on hardware is one of those themes uh and if you've been listening for a while you know that we've touched most of the major hardware and so we got to the point where i was talking to zach and i said zach well, i want to talk about hardware but th- what, what there's no hardware to talk about if, except for maybe some really new stuff i don't think we've touched on like the playstation 3 or like the xbox one or anything like that yeah. but i'm like but that's i'm like what about some like older stuff and he's like you know philips made a game console and i said philips the company that makes light bulbs <laughs> and he said yes philips <laughs> the company that makes light bulbs made a game console and apparently this was a thing back in like what is it the 90s or so yeah the different game different large corporations decided that they also wanted to try and get that video game money oh yeah and yeah. failed spectacularly absolutely and one of those companies is Philips, where uh they created a thing called the cdi which i wasn't even aware was a thing until zach talked to me about it but Zach, why don't why don't you take it away? Why don't we talk about our memories or our our known knowledge about the CDI yeah, first? Yeah. So I think Seth just made note that uh, he's he's probably pretty much erased any memory of the CDI if he had any of it. 
so um it, it would have been in your time when the cdi was was coming out but i think yeah. you, you might have just it was just one of those things that your brain was like i don't need this information it's never going to come up again so the cdi for me also kind of is a weird thing because i didn't grow up on the system i never played the system i i have i've only seen one physical actual cdi in my life however take yourself back to around 2007 or so during the early days of youtube back when youtube was this like madman's like journey of of who could become popular for some reason like the term meme was just starting out and there was this thing on youtube called youtube poop and youtube poop were these to put it mildly avant-garde pieces of art <laughs> where people would manipulate other forms of media to sometimes put together a story sometimes just make the videos really loud and blow at your speakers depends on how the person that making the video felt a lot of times they utilized some like fast cutting slow motion uh, reverse dialogue stuff like that in a really quick manner um, flashing lights it was all different kinds of editing techniques that you would never see in a mainstream form of media which is why when i was on the wikipedia page for youtube poop just to see if i could get my dates right for it i was pleasantly surprised by the fact that wikipedia refers to it as avant-garde media <laughs> it was like that's very highbrow wikipedia so youtube poops often utilized kind of bizarre sources for for their media and some of the sources they took from were cdi games specifically some games that we're going to talk about when we talk more about cdi games but they often use some really bad animation and and, and mixed it up um into the mix right because the the animation for the cdi wasn't necessarily good to begin with it depends on the game but yeah it will get into that as we as we talk uh, about the cdi and and more specifically as i kind of stated yeah pretty much i maybe if i like dig deep into my memories i can remember the cdi if you remember the cdi send us an email say i remember the cdi or i owned a cdi you know you know the emails classic gaming brothers at classic gaming brothers.com <laughs> or uh just uh, classic gaming brothers at gmail.com send send it an email if you can tell us that you use the CDI in your favorite game off the CDI, we will put you into win a video game. That's right. Which is pretty much our, our default thing that we do for people. That's right. Um, but who doesn't want a free game? Anyway. So to go over a little bit of the history of the CDI, it was kind of an odd thing. I mean, not just the fact that it's Philips who make light bulbs now, but also the fact that it exists. And really to go back to the CDI, we have to look at Nintendo. So after the success of Nintendo's NES, uh, Nintendo was desperate to find the next best thing. So the NES was this killer success and they already had plans for the Super Nintendo and the Super Nintendo was out and it was doing decently, but they wanted something that could beat what the NES did. And, you know, the Super Nintendo was doing really well, but it was nowhere near as amazing as the NES was originally sold. And they had some thoughts to explore this new market of compact disc media. So they reached out to two companies, Sony and Philips. For Philips, compact disc media was something that they had been working on already. In the 1980s, they were actually working directly with Sony to develop a version of the compact disc format that would allow for interactivity so in the 80s, compact discs were kind of this new growing market, this new format, and really all they could do was music. For the most part, that's all they do anyway now, but that's all right. they could do for a period of time. <laughs> Philips had this idea with Sony about what if we could do more with a CD? What if we could have them be interactive and kind of turn them into something more than just music CDs? So they created what was called the CDI disc, which stands for compact disc interactive disc i love multiple discs in 1999 philip started selling kits to developers to start promoting interest for this format and one of the companies that was interested when they saw the kit was nintendo Ooh, it's like a match made in heaven and uh nintendo's plan was for a cd-based add-on that they originally were going to call the playstation both plans kind of fell through with sony and philip but philips was offered some contract deals with nintendo that they just simply couldn't ignore and they used these deals to come up with some like killer apps or game like games or applications for the device they were working on the philips cdi so nintendo was interested but it ended up just not following through so 
Phillips essentially was like, we got some deals and stuff through Nintendo. Let's make some games and make it on our own system. The first Philips CDI machine was released in 1991, uh, which was three years before Sony's own PlayStation. However, unlike uh, Nintendo, Sony, and Sega, uh, the CDR was not marketed as a game system. It, we, they didn't go to market saying this is a video game system. Uh, it was marketed as a consumer electronic that could also play games. The plan was to have music CDs, interactive media, games, educational titles, and even the potential for photos and videos to be play playable on just one device. So they they wanted to consolidate all the electronic devices that everyone had in their entertainment systems to this one device that could do everything, including play games. And so it would be something you would like, Philips wouldn't go necessarily to E3, but they would go to like the CES, which is the Consumer Electronic Trade Show. And you can see this in their marketing for that time period. There was actually a commercial Seth was showing me, which was a little bit later in Philips's run. But at one point, the guy says, oh, this is your this is your VCR. It's your video game system. It's your everything. And that's what it was. It was your everything. In that, in, in that particular commercial, every person in the commercial is played by the late actor, Phil Hartman. Yes, which I just find ironic that an actor named Phil was schlepping a product by Philips. <laughs> Lots of Phils. So as Seth was stating, the overall plan was for the Philips CDI to not be a quote-unquote video game system. And this was made clear through the design of the system. If you look at the original models of the CDI, it looks like a commercial CD player of the time. Uh, it would fit very nicely on a shelf next to a VCR or a stereo system without much notice. Um, in fact, one of the things I do when I go to thrift stores these days is I intentionally look at CD players to make sure it's not a CDI because they look so similar. I think Philips actually released CD players that weren't CDIs but use the same like like model and such, so they look nearly identical. Yeah, like the case. Yeah, exactly. So the default controller that came with the system was also very much not like a video game system. It was shaped kind of like your standard remote control. Um, it was this kind of like dog bone shape um, that was wired. Um, you could plug it into the back of the system. There was also another optional joypad. You'd have to buy it separately that looked more like your traditional controller that would have come out with a video game system. Had your normal D-pad and buttons and a start button. As well as a wireless remote control with a joystick. And to kind of give you an idea of what this thing looks like, think of your usual remote control that you would use to control like your your TV or your Blu-ray player or something like that. And then shove an analog stick into that. <laughs> That's what the CDI's joystick looked like. Mm. It is not a very nice looking controller. So Philips also allowed for other companies to manufacture CDI players, such as Magnavox and Memorax. And this was something that some other companies were doing with like CD players and stuff. You know, you would come up with an idea for a CD player and you would pass along the idea to other manufacturers and they could produce their own version. Right. They would license it out. Yeah, exactly. They licensed it out. And some of these devices actually remained on sale after Philips had discontinued the machine with one device selling into the year 2001 in Europe. The most, yeah, pretty, uh, you know, like Philips was like, we're done. And this company is like, no, 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 <laughs> this is ours. The, the most remembered thing, though, about the CDI, however, is definitely its games. Uh, and this is definitely thanks to Nintendo offering that contract that allowed Philips to utilize intellectual property for, of Nintendo for their games, something that was very uncommon for Nintendo to do. And they very uncommon for them to do to this day. This resulted in three Legend of Zelda games and a Super Mario Brothers games. All three of these have full motion cinematics and voice acting in them. A first for for the both franchises. Right. And overall, the CDI was uh, a failure uh, commercially. The machine was marketed in a way that it was found to be confusing for the public. They were unsure if what they were buying because it tried to be everything. And sometimes when you try to be everything, you end up just being nothing to the consumer. They they were like, is this an audio system? Is this a game system? Like, what, what am I buying? And in 1992, you had to spend 
$1,000 to buy a CDI, which by 2020, that's about $2,000 in yeah. when if you account for inflation. So if you had $2,000 today, would you want to buy the CDI? You'd probably be confused. In 1994, the system did get a redesign to make it look more like a video game system. Though by this time, Sony released their PlayStation. And which obviously beat them up <laughs> because we remember the PlayStation. We don't remember the Philips CDI. The Philips CDI was eventually discontinued in 1996, estimating that they sold probably about 570,000 units in six years, which is not a lot. No. <laughs> they did sell more than the Dreamcast, but I think overall, I think the Dreamcast got closer to them with shorter amount of time. Yes, for sure. Software continued to come out, however, for the system a few years after it was discontinued. So they didn't give up on it 100%, but that's that's still 570,000 units at $2,000 or a thousand bucks a pop. Yeah, and to put this into perspective, in 1994, when the PlayStation came out, it was $299, which in today's money is about $500. Right, they had brand devaluation pretty quick. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Sony basically released this thing that could do everything the CDI was claiming it could do and was like, hey, ours is better, <laughs> you know, and it was. So um, there were a couple of games. Well, there was plenty of games that came out in the CDI, but we're going to talk about a couple of memorable ones. For anyone who's familiar with the CDI, you'll probably recognize the first few that we're talking about because these are the most infamous. So two games that I'm going to talk about together because they're virtually identical except for some like differences are Link, The Faces of Evil, and Zelda, The Wand of Gamelon. In Faces of Evil, Link must stop Ganon and save Princess Zelda. It's the usual plot to a Zelda game. In Wand of Gamelon, Zelda must save Link from Ganon. <laughs> so it's it's not exactly like 100% the same game. There's different levels and such, but it's virtually like you're just playing a, a different version of the same game with the character roles swapped. Both these games are notable for having cartoon FMV sequences that play throughout the game. Notably poor quality sequences. These They, they have frame rate issues. The animation is just kind of bad. Uh, I'm pretty sure someone has done an analysis of like how many frames of animation are in a single scene and there's it's really not a lot. So it kind of looks j- jittery while the characters are moving. And part of the reason was because the animation was outsourced to a new company, a Russian company called Animation Magic. And interesting to note, Zelda, The Wand of Gamelon, and Link, The Faces of Evil marked the first time that Russian outsourcing had been utilized by a company in the United States Thanks to the fall of the Berlin Wall, which had happened not too much earlier than that. So Phillips just swooped right in there and they're like, hey, hey, Russia. <laughs> you wanna make some you wanna make some Legends of Zelda stuff? Yeah, I heard you guys like capitalism now. <laughs> wanna use that capitalism for us? The notably terrible voice acting was provided by Boston actors through the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. They were auditioned, and I'm pretty sure they probably just took the first people that came in through the door. That's at least what it sounds like. In terms of gameplay, Link the Faces of Evil and Zelda The Wand of Gamelon play identically to each other, with the 2D platformer perspective similar in many regards to everyone's favorite Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link for the NES. I know that's Seth's favorite Zelda game for sure. This is where <laughs> he's shaking his head no. This is where pretty much all the similarities end between uh, the Zelda games and, and these these games. The controls being regarded as insufferable by one critic, sloppy by another critic, and some examples of these bad controls include difficulty navigating often on stairwells, poor hit detection, and confusing use of items such as like lanterns. For example, there's a lantern that you get in the game and you're required to fill it with oil, but the oil goes down so quickly when you use it, so you'll go into a room and you'll turn on the lantern so it will be bright and you can see, and then halfway through the room it will go pitch black and you can no longer see the platforms and you will die so the rooms become impossible to traverse Uh, another fun fact is that the final boss in both games takes one hit to kill (laughs) good and it's the these these legends of zelda's games are are if you look up like um what is it it's like zelda link's got the like blonde blonde hair yes yeah and it's and there's like the wizard is in there like the old wizard yeah is that is that gamelon i think so maybe there's like this 
old wizard in it. If if you're listening to this episode, you probably have seen yeah. these clips and you may have thought they've come from like a cartoon or something like an old forgotten cartoon. No, no. They came from the CDI yes. games. Um, some, some great lines of dialogue include Link saying, boy, I, I'm so hungry, I can eat an Octorok, which are these like yes. giant creatures that attack Link in Zelda. So, I'm not sure why you'd want to eat one. They are dangerous. So if you if you watch that YouTube video and you thought that that was from a bad Legends of Zelda cartoon that was released on Saturday morning, it wasn't. You're half right. It was from a bad Legends of Zelda cartoon. It was just from the Philips EDI. The third game to utilize the Legend of Zelda IP because at least Philips was smart enough that they should capitalize on this these Nintendo contract is make as many as they can within the short span that the CDI was around. It was Zelda's Adventure. So Zelda's Adventure uh, forgoes the cartoony look of the previous games and now opts for live action full motion video sequences using actors always instead of cartoons always a winner <laughs> the game is also played from a top-down perspective similar to how the original legend of zelda the far superior legend of zelda games is played the plot follows zelda's quest to save link from ganon after he is kidnapped again <laughs> because that's the plot of the second game <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> they couldn't come up with good plots apparently she Though instead, um, has to explore the land of Tolmac, not Hyrule, to stop Ganon's evil forces. I don't think there's a reason given for that. I think it's just it doesn't take place in Hyrule for because. As mentioned, uh, the game has a, a different style of gameplay with the top-down perspective, though the gameplay is still often described as being sloppy and causes issues. Uh, one issue was a notable dip in frame rate to where it was to the point where you couldn't play it anymore. Also, the game had very little music, so you had to explore this game in utter silence, which if you've ever played any sort of medium like a video game, silence is just not something Something that you really experience unless you're playing a creepy game where you're exploring like an abandoned house and it's silent but even still even still it's still like yeah. e- eerily silent not the lack of sound yeah <laughs> good game <laughs> the, the best game yeah and so if you've ever seen bad videos of live action people portraying uh zelda and uh link that's also from the Philips CDI. <laughs> and and the, the final nail in the uh, plan for Nintendo's IPs to become successful hits on, on the CDI is Hotel Mario. This is the only Mario game released on the CDI because apparently Philips couldn't act fast enough to produce more than one Mario game for the CDI. Hotel Mario is actually not really an adventure game. It's more of a puzzle game. The plot, which is crucial to every Mario game out there, involves Bowser getting into the lucrative business of hotel management. He has kidnapped the the princess and is hiding her in one of his koopa hotels mario has got to go to each hotel and shut every door so that the hotel is no longer functioning because <laughs> that's how it works did you know seth you can close a hotel by going there and making sure every I, door is shut I, I feel like they they lost the chance of him being like a health inspector and be like Get into Bowser's kitchen and evaluate his code of standards and shut it down. I don't know why. Mario, health inspector. No, but he just closes doors. Uh, this process... Yeah, sure. Door shutter. Yeah, this process is hard because Koopas and Goombas who are staying at the hotel keep opening the doors and trying to stop them. Because they gotta go to the icebox. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's rude. Mario is, like, shutting people. But, I mean, at the end of the day, if I was a Goomba or a Koopa that was staying at a at a hotel and Mario shut my door, like, I would just go to sleep. Like, I'm, aren't I at the hotel to sleep? Like... This guy's just shutting my doors. Unless he's making it like a fire hazard. He's probably causing a ruckus. He's probably causing a ruckus. Well, he probably is making it a fire hazard because um, you can collect abilities such as fireball power-ups and invincibility power-ups. So once Mario starts lobbing fireballs in the the hallway, pretty sure those Goombas and those Koopas are going to want to get out to the fire escape, meaning Mario is committing acts of terror. (laughs) 
So Mario is a terrible human. Poor Bowser just wants to get into the hotel business and have Princess Peach provide him with some support as the celebrity in the Mushroom Kingdom. But no, <laughs> eco-terrorist Mario has to come in and wreck the place. Anyway, as mentioned, these are these are puzzle games. Uh, primarily, you are shutting all the doors and you fight the boss. Uh, the last boss of the game is, as you can imagine, Bowser. <laughs> Real estate tycoon. Uh, business mogul. <laughs> Rich entrepreneur. <laughs> Bowser. The game, like the Zelda and Link games, has animated cutscenes with animation done by our friends over at Animation Magic. And as with the Zelda games, the animation and the voice acting are pretty bad. One of my favorite lines of dialogue involves there's like smoke coming from one of the rooms and in the in the cutscene, and Mario goes to the room and opens it up, and there's just a whole bunch of toasters in there, and he goes, You know what they say? All toasters toast toast. <laughs> Which is it's factually wrong because toasters toast bread <laughs> they don't toast toast well don't that's true that's that is factually wrong they make they make toast <laughs> yeah the game obviously was received very well with one review calling it craptastic <laughs> that was by games radar and Eurogamer calling it little more than a really rubbish version of elevator action <laughs> which is an old arcade game where you had to close doors you did have to close doors the controls are mostly cited as being probably the worst part of the game along with just the over overall poor quality of the animation in the game itself. There was a proper Mario game that was supposed to be made called Super Mario's Wacky Worlds. It was planned for the CDI, and it was intended to be the actual sequel to Super Mario World for the Super Nintendo. It was canceled. Do you think it was canceled because Nintendo saw Hotel Mario? That might be the official reason, is that Nintendo was like, stop it. <laughs> no, no, no. They were like, they were like Hotel Mario's bad. Yeah, we're, like, we're not going to let you make the official sequel. Apart from other games were on the CDI beyond uh, Legend of Zelda games and Mario games. Uh, in fact, Myst, a game that we've talked about before, which has been ported everywhere, was ported to the CDI. <laughs> Unlike previous games uh, that we were speaking of that had some type of action or platforming, Myst was just Myst. And honestly, it was pretty well suited for like how the CDI had for controller. The people actually say who have played Myst on the CDI say it played pretty accurately to the original PC version. Watching some videos, it looks like just the audio and video is probably a little bit compressed, but not in a way that really ruins the game. And overall, it, it's just Myst on the CDI. We... Beyond that, we just thought it was interesting that Myst, in fact, did get ported to every single game system that there is out there at least once, including the Philips CDI. That's right. uh, another game was called Atlantis The Last Resort. It was developed and published by Philips Interactive Media and released in 1997, which was after they had discontinued the CDI officially, thus them still creating games. <laughs> the game takes place in the future where people are able to take dream vacations using software. Then a virus infects the software and begins wrecking havoc on the system, which you would think they would assume could happen if their entire system is based on software. It's like, let's have a thing that is run through something that can go very wrong very fast. Anyway, the government decides to do what it does best and step in, and the only thing they can think of doing is sending the meanest and worst criminal they have in detention, who is you, the player, to then go in and fight the virus with your hands and guns. <laughs> the players thrust into a first-person perspective game where they must tra travel to various virtual holidays and destroy anything amiss in the vacation, like skeletons. Skeletons yeah, should those, not. Yeah, those shouldn't be. They should, should not, not be on be your there. vacation. If you are in a nice part of Maine and you see skeletons, run away. Unless you're in a haunted house, then you're probably part that's probably part of the thing the gameplay and the graphics are very similar to wolfenstein 3d and there are 3d animations between mich missions these 3d animations i actually really enjoy i was watching some video of them and one of them was just an army of skeletons marching past some greek looking locations it was very nice i liked it weren't very good animations but they're impressive for what 
1997 could offer. More recent reviews have also noted that the game does play surprisingly well for the CDI. Um, There is some criticism, such as the fact that you cannot strafe, which is a common method in first-person shooters and navigating. In fact, pretty much everyone who's played Doom and Wolfenstein will swear by strafing, as it's it's a popular way to defeat bosses. Yeah, you move left to right. Yes. Without turning. Exactly. So that strafing is where you move left to right without turning. Um, in, In Atlantis, the last resort, you would have to actually turn your character um, over around to uh, to move the direction you want to move. Oh, that's annoying. It is very annoying. The game also can be fairly disorienting, and this is mostly just due to the really low quality of graphics. So it, the game looks fairly impressive, but it is low resolution, and that can cause a little bit of uh, eye strain as you as you're playing this 3D world. You also did require something called the digital video cartridge to play the game. It was an add-on for the CDI that allowed for higher quality digital video to be played. Uh, the add-on offered about one megabyte of extra memory and this also allowed the game to play both sound effects and music at the same time which might have been the problem with the zelda game i assume the zelda game was not optimized for this device you know but that's like the thing that i want to do as a consumer after spending one thousand dollars on something is buying something to make it actually do what it intended to do all along. oh yeah and this was a two hundred dollar add-on right. so you were effectively spending twelve hundred dollars on the system or uh, if we do like napkin math, twenty four hundred today dollars. Yes, just so you can play. Missed. <laughs> Not, well, missed probably worked fine. Missed did play. probably work fine. Just so you can play Atlantis: The Last Resort. Probably the only only really good game. <laughs> well, except for the last game that we're going to be talking about. And that's Dragon's Lair. The CDI port of Dragon's Lair has often been cited as being as near to the arcade game as it could have gotten. Uh, Dragon's Lair, originally released in 1983, was a unique game when it came out into the arcades, as it was a fully animated adventure from the mind of Don Bluth, who was the director behind uh, American Tale and Titan A.E., um, wonderful, wonderful movies. Uh, When the game came out in arcades, it ran on a laser disc, which is a large compact, like a large CD yeah, it's pretty much the reason why compact discs are called compact is because before they were big. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and in Dragon's Lair, you must react to a specific thing on screen fast enough so your character doesn't die. There was a simpler game by Don Bluth called Space Ace that was also released in arcades. Space Ace was also ported to the CDI. Now, the CDI version has been noted to not be perfect, with one critic noting that if the character dies, the high score screen will splash on the screen, interrupting the flow of the game. Uh, the scores are not saved when you turn off the CDI. So another thing to note was that some of the scenes occur at random in the CDI version. So since the game wires memory, it's harder because now you're getting things that are happening just randomly. And the CDI version also has only three lives and no continues. Meaning, if you get a game over, it's back to the beginning. And that's your home console. So, like, you you get more continues at the arcade. I mean, I guess you may be paying for them, but, like... Yeah, it's... it's uh, just. And the, the whole thing about the scenes being at random, um, it, th- that's definitely going to be detrimental to people who might have perfected Dragon's Lair in the arcade. Because one of the cool things about Dragon's Lair that a lot of people did was they would play the game for hours and hours and hours, master it, and then show off to their friends. Not very easy to do with the CDI version because some of the scenes came randomly as opposed to the way they appeared in Dragon's Lair where they come in a certain order. So... Um, suddenly you might get very confused and it will throw off your rhythm. Which again, I guess that's just more challenge. But uh, So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's definitely not the most ideal way to play the game. Uh, and uh, uh, Dragon's Lair had wonderful cartoon animations. So yeah, that's it. That's the Philips CDI. Uh, what a... What a strange, what a strange little machine. I think the thing that I have the hardest time getting around is it was $1,000. That's just a lot of money. Like $1,000 is just a high price point, even for the time and even for a new technology. Uh, the Sony PlayStation opening price point MSRP'd at $100 and nine, well, $199, it's 200 bucks. 
So you could buy, going to do some napkin math here, five PlayStation 1s for the price of an original Philips CDI, which was only out not that long before the PlayStation 1 released. So N64 was also like 200 bucks. Philips coming out with this, mind you, they attempted to get into a different market, right? They weren't really playing to the video game scene as it were they were uh playing to people who had high-end stereos and wanted to have some additional capabilities with their stereos which didn't work yeah i mean in all fairness i think i've actually heard that the cdi as a cd player was actually pretty good piece of equipment it was good for hi-fi collectors but like a hi-fi collector is not the person you want to advertise your video game system to (laughs) right so that's it philip cdi will put you in the bucket of history here that's right our the the classic gaming bucket classic (laughs) gaming bucket we should have a uh, we should have a we should have a bucket i'm gonna make us a bucket i, I kind of want to buy like a cheap cheap sand castle bucket and just put our logo on it and then we just have it during our streams that could be what we Good. draw our that could be what we draw things from when we do drawings oh, the classic we, game i mean bucket. versus a hat yes versus my hat yes wow anyway so we're gonna do a little uh byway pass segment yeah um I, I could go first. Yeah, Seth, why don't you go first? Tell us what you are planning on by waiting and passing on. There's a game called Transient that is uh, that came out on the 28th of October. It is a Lovecraftian cyberpunk adventure, which is just a combination I didn't know I needed to exist. I like cyberpunk and I like Lovecraftian horror. Thus, together, they must be a good game. I, I would assume. It's an adventure game where you uh, solve puzzles, hack systems, and plug into, I'm guessing, some type of neural net. Perhaps, because in this neural net you explore other dimensions. Perhaps other people's vacations. Just like Atlanta's Last Resort. It is uh, taken actually from a Lovecraftian story and is uh, a narrative-driven walking simulator where you encounter some uh, puzzles throughout to progress the story. Not a lot of true, like, super exploration, but enough exploration where you could find, like, hidden easter eggs and stuff like that in the in the game the price tag it's uh msrping at 19.99 which is a pretty good price tag for um a game nowadays it's kind of like you're not it's not a triple a title so it shouldn't get a triple a price uh which always i feel like has been going up every every so many years and uh but but 20 bucks is a, a good cost and actually up until november 9th which maybe shortly after this episode releases I can't do pod math in my head. It is on sale uh, for $16.99. I enjoyed Call of Cthulhu, which is another Lovecraft game. (laughs) And... Lovecraft themed game and I actually might I might I might pick this up I'm gonna put it officially put it down as a wait um but I uh I think this would be a fun game for me and Zach to play in the past during our extra live stream which we just did yeah absolutely so just the way that sometimes time winds I'll put this down as a uh as a wait but you know there's nothing better than a spooky game for sure that's right even outside spooky season that's right. Uh, spooky games are fun all the time. So, Zach, what about you? Well, my Bioweight Pass is actually kind of an interesting game. I only just discovered it today when I was browsing around the website Itch.io, which is full of tons of indie games. It's a game called Irena Genesis Metal Fury. It's currently in development by an indie company known as White Ninja Studios. I actually looked at their website just now, and it looks like their entire team is five people. The cool thing about, about Irena Genesis Metal Fury is that it's a shoot-em-up, or a shmup, as you might want to call it. Um, that is being created for the Sega Genesis system. It's a brand oh. new game for the Sega Genesis. That's fun. Yeah. No details are really out yet when the game will be released or available in full, but there is a free prototype demo that is available on their itch.io and their website. I have downloaded it. I have put it onto my my flash cart for my Sega Genesis, and I will be popping it into my Sega or my Mega SG system very soon and we'll be trying it out and i'm excited i love shoot 'em ups i actually have a kind of a soft spot for shmups um i don't play a lot of them all the time but when i do play them i have a lot of fun and then i get really bad at them 
Uh, so, um, which is like our motto. We're bad at video games. It's not our motto. It's a way of life. It's just it is a way of life. It's a lifestyle. I will say it's probably going to be a wait for me just because it's so early in the development and I haven't even played the demo yet. Uh, but it looks really, really cool. And it's really cool to see homebrew stuff like this. I have no clue if they're planning a physical cartridge release. But I assume they are because they are actually partnering with our friends over at Mega Cat Studios, who we uh, got to meet at PAX, who are very, really nice guys over there, or nice people over there. But we met, we met their PR guy, who was very friendly. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be a wait for me. I just want to see how development goes. I followed them on Twitter, so I'll be uh, keeping an eye out on it. And who knows, maybe you will have seen it in our Extra Life video. Ooh, at least maybe the prototype. At least the prototype, yeah. Maybe you've already seen it. Maybe you already know more about, you might know more about the current Seth and Zach, but not the ones the ones that you're listening to now, not the ones that actually live in the world. <laughs> Pod time is a weird time. Pod time is always a weird time. So that's going to be our episode. Uh, episode uh, should be 49. Uh, and we're getting close. We are 50, one, two, three episodes away from our 52nd episode, which will put us at one official year of doing Classic Gaming Brothers. Technically, technically speaking, episode 51 is our one year anniversary since it we started on episode zero, but we don't like to believe episode zero is an episode. So episode zero is our start. pilot. It's like, you know, it's like the, the pilot the, episode yeah. that doesn't really count and hasn't been really fully incorporated into season one yet but it'll be on the dvd box set (laughs) episode zero is a uh it's a lovely episode but i definitely feel like after doing this for almost a year we've at least bought uh some like sound equipment i feel like that's that's fun we've gained Um, sound equipment (laughs) we've gained a sound equipment we've uh we've interviewed people or at least had them on our show and told them to talk to us so yeah it's been it's been fun um producing this podcast and hopefully you've all had fun too and with that i'm just gonna keep talking because i love the sound of my own voice there's a couple of things that have been on my mind those things are if if i wanted to listen to us right now how do i do that but there's a follow-up if i wanted to write us like a letter not like a, a letter on paper but like an electronic letter an Ooh, electronic, electronic mail letter. if you could say and, and finally seth as the third point to my question how do i support us uh, as a concept as a concept okay well i'm gonna try and do this the right way that you wanted to answer your questions in order so if you wanted to listen to us uh you can go on to any of your well you're obviously listening to us now or else you wouldn't hear us hear this this statement but anyway uh you can continue to listen to us on however you're listening to us now or you can go and go to your preferred podcasting medium and search for us there we are on all manners of different agents, as we like to call them, um, such as uh, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbeam, Acast, iHeartRadio, you name it, we should be on it. I think I named most of them, though. We're also on the the Fetchers, as it were, so there's like Podcast Addict and those apps like that. We get picked up on those as well. So search for us, find us, and listen to us. Uh, it's uh, cla- cla- just search for Classic Gaming Brothers on your agent of choice. And that's how you can listen to us. If you want to contact us, there's a couple of ways. You can send us an email from your email client to classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. You can also uh, send an email to classicgamingbrothers at classicgamingbrothers.com, Seth at classicgamingbrothers.com, or Zach at classicgamingbrothers.com. And there's maybe some other iterations of those as well. They all go to the same email box, and I'll read them and tell Zach to read them, and I'll generally respond, uh, unless Zach, for some reason, feels like he needs to respond, which he generally doesn't. You can also go to our website, which is ClassicGamingBrothers.com. At that website, there is a contact page. There's also some other fun pages you can check out, such as our special guest page, where we talk about our extended family, and our about page, where we talk about our staff, and our contact page, where we have a form where you can fill out and you can write to us that way as well. Uh, you still need an email. I don't think it needs to be a real email, though. A real email. It doesn't need to be a real email, though. But we wouldn't be able to respond to you if you don't give us to a real email address. So if you want to send us spam, that's a way you can do it. Please don't send us spam. We get enough of it anyway. 
Finally, you can support us. So there's a couple of things that you could do to support us. Number one, listen to us. That's really what we're here for. Uh, we produce this product so that you guys can listen to us ramble on. Uh, if you didn't listen to us, we'd probably still make this product, but we'd be sad because nobody was listening to us. We, we like to not only hear the sound of our own voices, but we like to know that other people enjoy the sounds of our own voices. Uh, because, if anything, it helps our egos. And <laughs> also, you could support us by reviewing us. So... If you want to, uh, on the agent of choice that you listen to, there should be an option to give us a review. By all means, give us the review that you think we deserve, which, if I would have to say anything, would be five stars. But I'm not a shill. So review us appropriately. If you do have any constructive feedback, you can always send it to us in an email and we'll give you a game or put you in a giveaway to give you a game, depending on how good the feedback is. We dole out games for really good feedback. Also, you can support us. We do have a, a shop where we sell the same shirt and the same mug that have been there since time Eternium. Dude, we did get some new artwork and we did get some new products available to put that artwork on. So you may see some new stuff coming in uh, soon. Uh, I think I've been saying this for the last 10, 20 episodes. That new artwork is coming or new episode, new products new are, coming. are coming. <laughs> new episodes are coming. Uh, new products, maybe not. But <laughs> uh, we did get some new artwork in. Uh, we are doing some QC checks on some stuff and checking out the, how some of the newer products are. So maybe you'll see it. Maybe we'll even sell a bucket with our logo on it the classic gaming bucket the classic gaming bucket for all your bucket needs you can also support us by following us on our all our social media channels we have a facebook classic gaming brothers an instagram at classic gaming brothers we have a twitter which is cg brothers pod and we have two twitches we have a twitch that is our main channel which is the one we prefer you follow which is twitch.tv slash classic gaming brothers and for the times that we do do like real-time strategies and you want to see what's going on zachary's computer uh you can follow him at vs classic gaming brothers you can drop them both a follow and you can watch us you can watch us both play games at the same time play games against us you may have watched us play extra life and that's why you're listening to this podcast if so welcome and with that zach is there anything else don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been zach and i've been seth and we've been the classic gaming brothers that's right that's, that's right, right. Did you know not only did Philips create a video game system, but Magnavox created their own? They created two! two. We had a Magnavox TV. I remember it was 27 inches or something like that. And it was like 60 pounds. (laughs) And it was great. I love that Magnavox. I just think Magnavox is a cool name of a company. You know what they say. All toasters toast toast. Thank <laughs> you.